Welcome to another edition of The Hollowed Ground. My name is Seth. His name is Eric. His name is Jeff. Gentlemen, who do we have on the show today? Today we have Chris Ballou, former lead singer of the Presidents of the United States of America, now known as Casper Baby Pants. One of those 90s bands that had some hits, great debut album, still have a great back catalog, but Chris just took a different turn with his music and going into children's music. But honestly, there's a lot about his work with presidents of the United States that I could see in his kids' music. By far, by far. I mean, everything that he does is, is very hook-oriented. The music that he writes, it, I, the president's music really translates so well to being a, uh, a child rock star, I guess you'd call it. Um, I'm excited to hear a little bit about his uh, unique playing, his writing. I really want to talk to him about his six string guitar where he cuts off four strings and tunes it down and it's pretty crazy so without any further ado let's check out the presidents of the united states of america birthed out of the seattle 90s music scene the presidents of the united states were a radical departure from the pearl jam nirvana and soundgarden that seemed ubiquitous to listeners of rock music Formed in 1993, the alternative rock power trio would find its way into heavy rotation on MTV and modern rock stations with the songs Lump and Peaches from 1995's self-titled debut album, A Triple Platinum Effort. The band in total released six studio albums, breaking up for the final time in 2016. All the while, lead singer Chris Ballou continued to produce solo music with multiple side projects. In fact, he had a different calling. He launched a project targeted toward toddlers, calling himself Casper Baby Pants. Gone are the label reps and the tour manager. Chris handles every role for this project. He's the singer, songwriter, instrumentalist, producer, label, booking agent, and roadie. 17 records and a Grammy Award nomination later, he's doing what he believes to be his calling, making infectious jams for kids. Run, baby, run. Run, 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 run. 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 The Hallowed Ground is pleased to welcome Casper Baby Pants. Or maybe we can call him Chris Ballou. Chris, it is an absolute pleasure to have you here today. Thank you so much for joining us. Thank you. Uh, see you later. Bye. <laughs> Take care great. now. Take care now. What a great interview. Yeah, that's all you need to say, really. You said it all. Uh, Chris, I can, I can tell already from the start of this interview that, uh, you know, the the reputation of presidents of the USA and the kind of the, the songs from the from the beginning of the, in the, the first the first album I can see that personality already come out in the first couple of minutes of this of uh, just talking over Zoom. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, that's me. Yeah, I like I like silliness. Um, 
I have later, later, later in life discovered that silliness is sort of the end result of the struggle for enlightenment in a lot of cases. The Dalai Lama is a very silly guy. He tells stupid jokes and laughs easily. And um, I kind of, you know, uh, we used to always get asked if we're, we were a political band or because of our name, do we have any political opinions? And my sort of blanket answer was always like, no, but <clears throat> we kind of traffic in the politics of joy. We try to show what it looks like to be on the other side of the struggle so you know what you have to look forward to. That's kind of how I look at life. Like, yeah. you know, keep it silly, keep it light. Not that I don't have my yin and yang, my light and dark, of course, like any human. But um, as far as what I want to project in the world and what I want to contribute, I want to contribute the sound of joy. Mm -hmm. Well, that's obviously very evident in your music and it's always been throughout your career. Um, yeah. Let's talk dark. I mean, the last year in this pandemic that we've been in, what, is, what has that been like for you? How have you had to kind of pivot your musical direction a little bit? I have actually pivoted quite a bit uh, in an unexpected way. Right when the pandemic started, um, I was uh, about ready to gear up to do a bunch of shows, Casper Baby Pants shows, which I do hundreds of a year. Mm -hmm. And I was frankly a little burned out and I was kind of deep down, I, I was kind of yearning for a year off. And then bam, the pandemic happened and I got <laughs> a year off. <laughs> and, um, you know, I have a pretty good connection to the universe. When I need something, I kind of gently ask and it happens. And I kind of feel like the pandemic is my fault because I just needed a, I needed a break. So I'm sorry, everybody. <laughs> the universe is uh, maybe a little ham-fisted with that uh, fulfilling my request. So it, for me, on a personal level, it um, was what I needed, although it was also very stressful. And I kind of had like, I, I have a history of having phases of life where I have anxiety and I kind of have a choky sensation and then I have to manage that. And I've done a lot of talk therapy and I do uh, a daily breathing kind of Qigong. It's called kind of ritual and, you know, stress management. I'm kind of a raw nerve, which is kind of my strength because I get songs from the universe. And then I'm also kind of a raw nerve, which is a weakness because I'm, I take it all in. <laughs> mm -hmm. And sometimes the dark stuff is hard to uh, sweep away. So anyway, so I went through a phase of that kind of anxiety. And then I decided, you know what, I'm going to take a big break from music altogether, not just performing. I packed my studio up in boxes. I just, I came in here every day and I played piano or guitar, but I didn't have a goal. I just played. I, the idea was to like, I just want to be in the moment for a while. And I did that for about eight months. I just had no goals. Um, and then out of that, out of those jams, this new kind of approach started bubbling up and I'm actually finishing up a record that's going to be just called a Chris Ballou record. Um, the first time ever I've done that, just be me. And it's kind of this like um, existential psychedelia is the best way I can describe it. It's kind of okay. groovy and weird and trippy and, uh, and uh, I have a couple friends who are helping me choose songs and sequence it and they they swear up and down that it's good. So I have to believe them. So anyway, that's kind of been a cool thing. It's like I, I was allowed to be still for a long time and out of that stillness came a new voice. And it turns out to not be that new as I typically when a new thing comes along like the Casper thing or this new thing, I look back over, I have thousands of fragments of songs and I look mm -hmm. back at, and I kind of sift through the 
the detritus of my failures and find oh like like that's that's a that's a good one that's a good one that's got good chorus that's good good yeah, groove okay. and i find hundreds of like little breadcrumbs from you know the past so so anyway, you're never that, you're basically never going to run out of ideas you've got this library of yeah. things that you can kind of dip into right yeah and they're all different i mean if i wake up one day and feel like i need to write a country western song or it comes out i just do it even though it fits nowhere because yeah. inevitably in the future i find a new voice and then look back and there's all these these pieces that are useful so yeah. It's weird. Uh, it's almost like I'm I'm everything at once, and I'm only being one at a time. Mm -hmm. <laughs> if that makes so, sense. No, it totally makes sense. So, how do you approach the, the the different style of songwriting? From being in a rock band now, being you know writing children's music, is there a different way you go about it? Because like if you, if you listen to a lot of your older '90s tunes with with presidents, you know they're all very like hook oriented. Your your music always tells like these great stories and paints these pictures. Um, you know, like songs that really grab you, like Volcano and Peaches, Monkey River, you know, that's kind of what kids music is all about. So I, I feel like there's a nice transition from what you were doing in the 90s to Casper Baby Pants now. Oh, yeah. I mean, it was more of less of a transition, more of a shedding uh, as the way I was shedding. It. Okay. Because um, presidents had this friction going on. Like I, I, the analogy I like to use is like a planet, like the molten core was pure innocence and okay. silliness. And then the outer crust was innuendo, sexuality, grown up stuff. And the two of those kind of like, you know, vibrated against each other. And that's what you got. That's what made the president spark mm -hmm. um, was innocence and innuendo, you know, meeting. Um, as a songwriter, I was very um, sort of inconsistent with getting that spark to happen. That wasn't really in my bag of tricks. I just happened that during a period of time, I could, I kind of got that chemistry to work. And then it was like a, if a monkey painted a painting with its eyes closed and it sold for $3 million at Sotheby's and everyone's like, monkey, make another painting. And the monkey's like, I don't know what I did. My eyes were closed. You know, like, <laughs> it was kind of like that. It's like, monkey, make another record. And I was like, I don't know what I did. <laughs> so um, so that's why you know we did the inevitable like huge debut, pew, yep. taper off. Because without guidance or like you know a relationship with a producer that could help me figure out the chemistry, I was unaware of that at the time. So, um, you know, it just kind of unraveled. So when it came to, you know, but we kept going and everything and I felt that pressure to repeat and I couldn't really do it and I didn't know why and it was really mm. stressful and then we broke up for five years and we got back together. And that was great because that was like being in the world's greatest president's cover band basically because the, um, the emotional part of it had been removed by the five-year break. And so it was just basking in the songs, you know, just loving the songs, loving playing again. That was wonderful. We made a couple records, changed guitar players. All the while, the entire arc from the mid nineties to the, uh, you know, mid two thousands, I was experimenting on the side, looking for some other thing because I kind of felt like, well, if I don't understand the chemistry of what I'm doing, it's probably not it. It's not the destination. And mm -hmm. as I experimented, I did all kinds of stuff. I had a band, you know, with, uh, I had like a weird kind of gorillas style rap rock band for a while. Okay. Um, I don't know, lots of stuff. And eventually it all got 
very small and acoustic and innocent and simple. And I was like, oh, this feels right. What, but what is it? Who's it for? And then I met my wife, Kate, who's an artist and her art just like spoke to me. It was like, oh, I want to make music that looks, that sounds like it comes from the same planet as her art. When I really focused and did that, um, it became obvious it was kids music that I was supposed to be doing. And that was like the greatest, most uh, sort of relief, sense of relief that I've had in my whole life. Cause not only was it really feeling good and it's what I wanted to do, but it mm -hmm. kind of freed me from the adult culture of cool and having to like worry about where I sat in the top, whatever, you know, the list of, you know, yeah, it just the, the competition, the sense of competition that, you can get sometimes swept up in in that uh, beauty contest. <laughs> yeah, yeah, of course. You know, uh, I was free of that. I, and I, you know, like I have a career as a kids musician. I have, you know, 18 records out um, and no hits. Like no in the traditional sense, right? In the mm -hmm. traditional like world of hits where it makes a difference. I'm completely under the radar, but flourishing. So yeah, you know, I've got a I've got a great story about that under the radar because I have a eight-year-old girl, Jocelyn, and when she was, I don't know, maybe two or three, we stumbled across a song randomly. I think on Pandora, Kids Music Shuffle, Run Baby Run came on. Oh yeah. And we we absolutely both got hooked where we would go out of our way to play it. It would turn our house upside down. We'd run around, we'd sing, we'd be jumping, we'd be spinning. Now my two-year-old is into it as well. And I remember telling my brother-in-law about it. Oh, you got to check out this guy, Casper Baby Pants. Your son's going to love this song. He did research and he said, you know who that guy is? Presence of the United States. Check. And then I put two and two together. So it was yeah. such a nice surprise to, to learn that that was you. Yeah, that's cool. I get. I hear that a lot from people yeah. that they, they get it elsewhere and then they figure it out. And that song, Run Baby Run, that's like a tent pole. I mean, if there was a hit, that'd probably yeah. be it. I didn't even write it. My kid's mom, my first wife, wrote that for my son when he was tiny just to keep him occupied and not crying it would immediately yeah. stop him from crying which became the like core purpose of the music was to be an assistant to parents to help gotcha. alleviate stress and all that stuff and to have a parent and a child love the same song and you know mm -hmm. uh and and to have it be aesthetically pleasing for the parents you know to some degree um so yeah, I, my first wife gave me Run Baby Run. My second wife gave me the, the entire global purpose. So I couldn't have done it without either wife. I needed two <laughs> wives to get through. <laughs> well, that's awesome. So is that why too though? Like I've noticed at some of your Casper Baby Pants shows, you'll mix in some old president's tunes as well, like different types of versions, right? You do, do you do that for the parents? Uh, no, I haven't, for... really, I haven't really done that much. Yeah. Uh, mixing in an actual president song no i you know i i did it a little bit i used to play dune buggy here and there and kitty okay. and i changed a couple words of course um and i i have done a thing called casper adult pants uh -huh. which is where i do a casper baby pants show for adults at a bar and there's no kids allowed yep. and it's all it's all drunk parents <laughs> And I make them do all the moves and sing all the parts. And that is awesome for me because their singing is just like solid. You ask a bunch of five-year-olds to sing along and it's not as <laughs> not as coordinated as their drunk parents. Yeah, right. Uh, but yeah, so, but I haven't, I haven't, I toyed around with the idea of doing a Casper Baby Pants covers the president's album, but without that friction between the innocence and the innuendo, yeah. 
they don't they just i tried it a little bit and it just kind of was like oh that's kind of a, just an okay casper song it's not a <laughs> <laughs> we so talk. Anyway, i decided to leave that alone even though it's a it would probably be a good marketing ploy chris when you're performing for these little kids and you're doing all the casper baby pants songs do you ever get tempted or can you ever play president of the united states songs maybe convert them or something yeah, some of them, although some of them work well, like Dune Buggy, again, is is basically a Casper Baby Pants song. That one would work. I could Maybe I should do a, a Casper Does Pusa single, just find the two that work. Um, actually, when we got our new guitar player, Andrew, or when we were casting about for a new guitar player in 2004, when Dave yep. moved on, that was in our, Jason and I were like, we got to find somebody who can rock, but can also be okay playing Dune Buggy. <laughs> that was our sort of litmus test for like how silly can this person be and be kick-ass and competent <laughs> <laughs> luckily we found andrew <laughs> well, there you go well, yeah, yeah but uh, I've, I've i've you know i just tend to not go down that path because i also don't want to add a live show i don't want to create the false spike of a president's song being played the mm -hmm. you know like the the excitement of that versus yeah. like muck of the rest i, I kind of want to just I want the show to have its own peaks and valleys without doing a, a cheap shot. No, totally makes sense. Totally makes sense. Well, let's, let's flash back a little bit. Let's go back to the nineties. You know, nineties was such an amazing time for rock music. I mean, Jeff and I, we're doing this podcast basically because of nineties, all, all rock. Um, you know, Wait, and, you're, and ta you're talking about the 1890s, right? We're talking about, yeah. Oh, aren't you talking about 1890s? Yeah. Yeah. Totally. Man. You know, so I've always had like this never ending playlist in my head of nineties anthems and, you know, peaches is in there without a doubt. Um, you know, if you can like look back on your time with the presidents, is there anything that you would want to change or do a little bit different? Yeah, I think we sh the only thing I would say I would like to change is that we should have taken a break between albums, between album one and album two. Okay. And the manager at the time, to her eternal credit, told us to take a break, but we were we were blinded by the light and the record label was like, get another album out right away. Yeah. And we had songs, but we didn't have energy and we didn't have... Um, the right guidance as far as like i said before like somebody who could come in and be like all right here's what makes you work here's your goal as a songwriter here's your palette here's what you need to focus on and and uh so yeah that would have been that's the one thing i would have changed um and i think we maybe could have just if we'd taken the right kind of breaks uh, we could have uh, lasted a little longer. But then again, when we were on, when we were just on the way up with the first record, my impulse was to break up immediately, like pull a sex pistols and just freeze ourselves in the perfect form. And I'll just be like, that's it. Uh, so all of it was frosting on the gravy for me. So, uh, you know, it worked out the way it worked out. And yep. uh, we got our break. We got a five-year break between and uh, beginning of 98 and end of 2002. So we got our, we, we you know, we engineered our own break eventually. Yeah. So when that, when that first album, that self-titled album came out, um, how did that like, it, that instant stardom, how did that change you guys as a band? Um, not a lot. Uh, not a lot? Well, you know, we play, we loved, playing live. Playing live was really the point. I mean, at that time, and to some degree now, I feel like songs are not the ultimate 
so, so I'm not, in a way, I'm kind of not really working with verses and choruses and notes and songs uh, as, a as the end result, as the, the mm. product. The product to me is how the song makes a room full of people behave. Yeah. How, like, it's an energy thing that makes people elevate. And uh, that's, the, that's the art form, is the energy in the room. Mm -hmm. um, so that didn't change much when we got famous, because that's like, happen that's about what who's in the room you know but the rooms got bigger and so our our little goofy cabaret act and our silliness and our maybe improvising or interacting with the crowd in a certain way had to go away so that changed you know when you're standing in front of 50,000 people on a racetrack in Germany at two in the afternoon and the prodigy is getting ready to come on next uh you can't <laughs> you can't you know hear something in the crowd and make up a song real fast uh, so there's a whole level of uh, gag-oriented stuff that falls by the wayside. And you just like crank up the machine and do the rock show, you know. Yeah. So yeah. it gets a little more, um, a little more rote, I guess, uh, when you get, when you transition like that. And then we had to be, we had to figure out how to run an international business instead of just smoking pot and having a barbecue in our house, which mm. we would do with our time when we weren't playing yeah, yeah. shows. Now we had to like understand the music business and uh, navigate it. And so we kind of split into a three-headed hydra. Dave was Dave read the books and read the contracts and knew how to negotiate. Okay. Jason was the PR guy that he went out with uh, label people and you know industry folks and got them drunk till three in the morning. And I was creative and I took care of the creative mm -hmm. bubble. So, okay. uh, and you know, we mixed and mashed uh, to some degree, but mostly we assigned each of us an important area <laughs> yeah. to focus on. Definitely. And I'm sure now, though, with, with Casper, it's probably a lot different. It's, is it a little, little easier to, to manage all that? Oh, hell yeah. Right? It's, it's DIY. I put the yeah. I in DIY, I'll tell you what. Because <laughs> it's just me. I yep. record these songs here in my studio. I mix them. I master them. I sequence the records, I distribute the records. I have a distributor in Portland that I partner with. Um, I book the shows, I go to the shows, I, I'm the roadie, I'm the, you know, <laughs> I'm the performer, uh, it's everything. So, and it's great because uh, my, you know, my internal meetings at Casper headquarters, are very <laughs> they're very short. They're like, do we want to do this? Nope, okay, we don't. <laughs> That, does that take you back to the early days of being of being a band where you're doing it all? Totally. Well, even before being a band, I mean, I have years under my belt before the presidents happened of DIY cassettes and uh, mm -hmm. core tracking and just crazy weird, uh, everything from pop songs to like ambient noise and, and crap that I just recorded because I was feeling silly. Um, yeah, hundreds of hours of, of doing it on my own before the presidents. And so before, yeah. that's right. The presidents to me was kind of like an anomaly where like the goal for me wasn't to get signed to a major label. It was just to be a guy making songs and mm -hmm. the platform that that afforded was much bigger, but it, my mm -hmm. goal wasn't to be famous or uh, any of that stuff uh, beyond just a way to get my silliness to more people. Mm -hmm. So I'm glad you mentioned um, like the earlier, earlier stuff. Didn't you used to play in a lot of subways as well? Oh yeah, I bust street, street uh, corners and yeah. You can find <clears throat> videos online of me um, not busking, but the guy that I played with, Phil Franklin, he had a, a drum set in a 
suitcase. And if you search like Chris Ballou, Middle East Cafe, Boston, Egg, the band was called Egg, E-G-G. Okay. Uh, you'll find I have weird footage of me. They, uh, the, that club videotaped all the shows that happened. And some of them are me. <laughs> and yeah, all right, it's great. so weird to watch because I don't remember any of it. It's like, that's me, but I don't remember that at all. <laughs> How much, uh, you know, the, the Seattle music scene was, you know, early 90s was the thing, right? Every, all the bands were coming out of there. How much do you think that helped getting attention for presidents? Oh, it was, it was invaluable. It was crazy invaluable. I mean, it was like uh, a fertile, uh, you know, hotbed of things growing because the audiences were excited to go to shows no matter who was playing because they wanted to see the next big thing you know uh and so we could book a opening slot on a tuesday and the place was full <laughs> so you know again it, that was another way that we were our timing was great and the and the platform yeah. was big because the platform had been built by all these guys <laughs> with long hair and flannel shirts although i have a flannel shirt but i don't have <laughs> it's that pacific northwest uh you know style for you right yeah exactly it was just a completely different sound from what you were hearing from some of these other bands that really blew up at the time. Yeah, kind of different, but kind of not. I mean, we bought guitars uh, and tuned them to C sharp because it just felt good. In fact, I have right here, ugh, I have the guitar that I played on the debut. It's a $75 cheapie with two strings wow. on it. And we tuned them, <laughs> we tuned them to C sharp because it fit our voices. I'll plug this thing in real quick. And uh, as we toured around in the tour bus and we had alternative radio on and, you know, grunge hits were playing, we'd grab our guitars and play along. And they, a lot of them were in drop C sharp. Yep. They were heavy. And uh, so there was some sort of, there's like a heaviness a little bit, even though we were kind of dinky and dorky, we were in the key, the magic key. And, uh, you know, quoting elemental bluesy stuff, uh, quoting the Stooges, uh, quoting the Buzzcocks, quoting Nirvana even in some of my songs. So it's like some of the vocabulary musically was there, but then the lyrics were what really set us apart because we weren't singing about anything kind of vague and poetic or painful. We were singing about cartoonish shit. Right. And so, so we kind of <laughs> took like, I feel like we took some of the palette from that world, which mm -hmm. already was what I was working with. I remember I was writing all these kind of dark songs when Nevermind came out and kind of these, uh, you know, weird thirds and harmonics and stuff. And then Nevermind came out and I was like, oh, well, that's what I was trying to do. That's way better. I'll just listen to that record. <laughs> so, so, yeah. So I'm excited you brought out that guitar. So that's the, what do you call it? The bass guitar? The, yeah. the typical guitar with a couple of modifications well, that's too, on that's your own, right? Hold on, that's too bassy, just a sec. Yep. Yeah, that's the that's the, great. the terrible little pickup. In fact, you can even talk into the pickup and it comes out <laughs> through the guitar. <laughs> that is yeah, awesome. this is the original bass guitar. So what influenced that? Taking off, you know, you've got a six string guitar, you, you're going with two strings on it. How did you ever come up with that? Uh, that a buddy of mine sound? named a buddy of mine named Mark Sandman uh, was a two string slide bass player in a band called Morphine in Boston. Oh, of course. And uh, he and I, we have no idea how we met, but we became friends and I ended up moving in with him and living with him and playing in a band with him called Supergroup. And um, he had this guitar 
In fact, this is weird though, because it's right now this guitar is set up as a six string, which is bizarre. The new <laughs> stuff I'm doing is kind of, somewhat kind of six stringy. Um, and he had this set up as a two string and uh, I picked it up in his recording studio and just was like, that feels so good. It just felt like, you know, cavemanish, uh, elemental, you know, it boiled the songs down to, they're not about fancy chords. They're not about uh, the music necessarily. It's more about the groove and, you know, there, it's a much more rhythmic kind of feeling playing it two strings. So yeah, it just clicked. It just felt good. And then Did you have to... I made a three string version and luckily I found uh, reacquainted myself with Dave Dieterer who was willing yeah. He's a great six string player, but he was willing to play the three string. Um, so I was like, you're in the band. <laughs> <laughs> that was my question was, did you have to convince Dave to do that or did he yeah. just do it on his own? Right? Yeah, it wasn't. No, he, I showed him the three string. My, my other friend, Dave Thiele, who I grew up with, he and I really figured out the three string thing. Yeah. Um, Cause he also plays the three string. Uh, and so, yeah, Dave, Dave was just willing to do it. So, so how does that, how does that translate to your songwriting? I mean, do you do you write on a on a two string? Do you write on a typical six string, or does it kind of go back and forth? All over the place. Yeah, All over. whatever. I, I got a piano here. I write on a lot, or I just write in my head. Yeah. Um, lately, I'm writing a new way, which is that I'm getting a groove going musically, and then I'm and then I'm kind of just like waiting for some imagery or a melody to come. So I'm not sitting down and, you know, I don't, or I don't have a clever idea first that I write out and then find a melody and chords for it. I'm kind of like letting the music drag me in whatever direction it wants to drag me in. Mm -hmm. So um, it's all over the map. It's just okay. like, I just got my radar mind open and I just wait for shit to fall into it. Yeah. I mean, Jeff will tell you every, every time we sit with somebody, I'm always asking about songwriting, trying to dig into oh, like yeah. the minds of our guests to see how they do. Cause I'm, I'm a musician as well. I'm infatuated with it. I've got a book at home full of, you know, 2000 little riffs here and there that have never really went anywhere, but I'll try to yeah. go back to it. Right. Oh yeah. That's, that's a good way to work, man. Yeah. I love working that way. I, I remember hearing Dave Grohl say once that um, it's like you, you write a bumper sticker, you write that hook, what, what, what you can see on the back of a car and then it build from there. You just, you just build off of that little one idea. Yeah. That's a way it can happen that way for sure. There's so many ways for it to happen. Uh, I think one consistent thing, though, is I think about sort of what's the atmosphere I want the song to live in at the other end. Like, what do I want people to be doing? Do I want them to be going to sleep? Do I want them to be dancing? And if so, how fast? Because that can determine the BPMs. Yeah. Um, you know, what are they doing? Do they have their arms around each other swaying and singing? And if so, <laughs> what supports that? So it's kind of fun to reverse engineer from a from a fan standpoint, um, you know, and then use that to kind of uh, narrow your palette and and decide what's in and what's out, what serves that purpose and what doesn't. So I, I find that intention is a big part of songwriting. Like, what is my intention? You know, um, sometimes when I just get into pleasing myself, it has no it doesn't. You know, like I'm just listening to an audiobook by Stephen King about writing, and he was talking about how, like, the first draft is for you, the second draft is where you have to deal with the whole world. And mm -hmm. so I like that. I like first draft making noises, being selfish, being weird, and then making sense of it and making it, you know, work for the rest of the world. Gotcha. Makes sense. Makes sense. Well, 
what do you got coming up next? What can your fans expect in the next couple months, couple years? Yeah. From well, let's see. Uh, I am every week on Mondays, I'm releasing a new piece of ambient music on my website, chrisbaloo.org. Okay. Um, so there's that. And then I'm, I have art. I'm doing visual art lately so that you can look at all my art up there. And if you want to, you can buy a print. Um, this album I'm working on right now, I, it should be out in three or four months, maybe. Uh, okay. I'm trying to sequence it and finish it now. Uh, there's an, uh, the 19th Casper Baby Pants album will be coming out whenever the pandemic is over and we can book shows. I'm, a, I'm holding on to the album 19. I put out two Casper albums during the pandemic, yep. but I'm waiting for album 19 to be a celebratory, you know, return to normalcy thing. So uh, we're waiting on that. And uh, that's, I think that's about it. Okay. Yeah, how, that's enough. That's enough. <laughs> how much touring were you doing in the past how many days uh, how many days a year would you say prior to covid oh with Ca with the casper thing yes yeah well it kind of peaked like in 2015 ish i think i was doing like 250 shows wow. a year <clears throat> yeah i would do like two or three a day sometimes uh one time i did three a day for three days in a row that was intense wow, that's a lot yeah but those shows are like 45 minutes long it's just mm -hmm. me i'm not battling against the noise of a rock band um i have this setup where i put a monitor right behind me so it it's my monitor is my front of house and my you know monitor so i can hear myself really well and i don't mm -hmm. have to play loud so and the kids are so like energetic they give me energy they don't take energy <laughs> they just like they give it so uh i could do that so yeah it was up to 250 i think right before the pandemic i was down to maybe i don't know 100 shows a year or something like that okay. uh and and feeling like again i needed a break so when i go back to playing live i'm going to play a lot fewer shows i'm going to play more like seated theaters and a less kind of like you know um uh you know the community celebrations outside mm -hmm. in the boiling sun in the summer where my sunscreen is in my eyes and i can't <laughs> oh man less Chris. less less chicken leg and bouncy house gigs and more like <laughs> opera house stuff chris thank you for taking the time to talk to you uh, talk with us you are you are quite the interview I, I appreciate all the excitement that you bring you brought to us today i can see it in the music uh, you're playing now and and what i remember from growing up as well Thank you. Thank you. You're welcome. And thank you. Uh, yeah, I, I appreciate uh, getting an opportunity to gab about the old days. I, <laughs> I miss the 90s. I, in fact, there's a Instagram uh, account called the Rocket 90s. The Rocket was the music rag in Seattle in the 90s. And I've signed up for that account. And it's such a nostalgia trip, man. It's like he'll just take pictures of, uh, you know, ads for who, who's playing at what clubs and like, okay. articles. And it's crazy to trip through that, uh, that that realm again so this is just an extension of that so thanks All for right. having me Wow, Chris Ballou, gentlemen, that was quite fun and he had as good a time as you guys did Can we can we add all-around nice guy? Such I a think, nice guy I, I think the persona of, of the President of the United States of America and we need to shorten that name to Pusa, uh, which he did during the interview uh, I, I think, uh, you know, all the things that you saw in that band in the 90s is Chris today, and I can see where his children's music 
really energizes him and there's a lot of excitement to what he's doing. And I think he's looking forward to the pandemic being passed so we can get back on the road, putting a smile on kids' faces. Yeah, I was loving what we were saying about, you know, performing live and, and being responsible for the energy in that room. Um, you know, just such a great guy, just full of life, really has such a great attitude <laughs> on things. Guys, I think we just have to remind people to rate and review this podcast so we can make more and more and more of these. iTunes Markets podcast, by the way, from ratings and reviews. Thanks for Eric and Jeff. I'm Seth. This is The Hallowed Ground. We will see you next week. (laughs) 